Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. We really appreciate everyone tuning in for another episode. I'm really excited today, Jenna. We're here to talk about invertebrates, about insects. We're being joined by Michelle Griesinger, who's one of our uh, senior keepers on the World of Insect team. So these are some of the episodes that I enjoy the most because it's something that I know almost nothing about. So I love learning. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us yeah, today. You're welcome. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yes, thanks for joining us. Uh, we want to hear all about insects and a specific project that you're working on. But your job is even more unique, I feel like, than just becoming a zookeeper. And we always start the episodes off kind of hearing how people got to where they are and working with insects I feel like is a little more rare than just the average zookeeper mm -hmm. um, so just tell us how you got interested in this or how you got into the field your yeah. journey I guess yeah so I let's see I grew up on a small farm and always was catching grasshoppers and things like that I did feed them to my cats on occasion but we won't <laughs> talk about that too much um, but the things I, we learn as we age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, poor grasshopper. <laughs> but now, when I went to college, I am a biology major and took an entomology class and fell in love with it. And we actually did a behind-the-scenes tour with World of the Insect, oh, and I was awesome. like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna leave. Like, that's amazing. And at the time, there was a different curator, and I had like talked to him. I was like, can I intern, volunteer, whatever? And he's like, I'm actually retiring. I'm really sorry. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but turns out I started as a volunteer educator, actually, and did that for a little bit and then got accepted into the internship program at World of the Insect for a full day. So it was a little bit different back then. Um, and then vowed I'd never leave after that. So I hung around, volunteered in a few different departments as well, and then got a full-time job at World of the Insect. That's so awesome. I've been there for about nine years. What were you thinking of doing just originally getting your biology degree? I had no idea. No idea? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I loved science and the animal aspect, and I definitely wanted to go in the direction of animals. I just didn't know which facet. Okay. So there's a lot to do. And I was like, I didn't know, you know, do I want to go the research route or the animal care route? Mm. So one know. class and one field trip, basically. Did it. Yes. Okay. Solidified yes. it. Yep. Well, um, you said you went on a behind-the-scenes tour while you were in college. Mm -hmm. So did you go to UC in the area? or I went to NKU. NKU, okay, yep. gotcha. Not yep. too far away then. No. That's no, funny. That was awesome. your experience with entomology yeah. in college because my experience was like, wow, that was such a hard course. I need to get away from invertebrates. I was like, <laughs> See, there's just more you can learn. There's a lot more to learn. <laughs> That's honestly what, what did it for me is like you have so many species that there is never a cap to what you learn. Like, mm -hmm. the diversity is just Oh immense. my gosh, so. yeah. I feel like that in just, like, one, the world of antelope, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Insects is, like, times a million. It's like, there are things that I do not know, and I feel totally fine saying, I am not sure on that, but I'll try to find out that answer for exactly, you. Exactly, yes. So did you have a very specific, like, area that you were working with to begin with? I know you guys kind of break up your department into different, um, I don't know what you call them, like sections. Sections, okay. Specialties, right? Specialties, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I am the primary keeper of all of our flower beetle species, cockroach species, and millipede species. So I think right now we have eight flower beetle species, eight cockroach species, and then two millipede species. Huh, what yeah. is... What makes a flower beetle species, or like, or what makes them belong in that category? Or can you give us an example of a flower beetle? So a flower beetle, one that is common around here is a June beetle. Okay. And they're the like, Catinus like is the genus. They're not. not they are much. green and they have like a yellow stripe. You'll often see them around compost, sometimes flowering plants. Okay, I They'll think I know what you're talking around, about. Probably around this time of year, maybe give it another month and you'll see them like crazy. Okay. September-ish mm -hmm. in Cincinnati. Yep. Okay. And you'll see like if you dig in your backyard you'll see the grubs and stuff. Okay. No promise that it's that species. It could be like a stag beetle <laughs> species. It's very hard to tell. But very so cool. one thing I definitely want to ask you about to clear up for not only our listeners but to clear up for myself as well. Obviously you guys are called World of the Insect and I think that's a little bit of a misnomer because you take care of a lot more than just insects. Yes. But what exactly makes an insect an insect? And I know you take care of Millipedes, millipedes are not insects, correct? Scientifically, 
Yes, you are correct. <laughs> they are in, so all insects and millipedes, even crustaceans, they're all under this umbrella of arthropods. And there's different classes under that. So like millipedes, for example, they're in the class Diplopoda. There's insecta for insects. So okay. it's just, it just, they're different based on body structures, mainly uh, anatomy and things like that. Okay. That's that's a tough question. That is, I know it's hard to just define uh -huh. one's like genus or yeah. like genera, but so like for for diplopods or like millipedes, they have two body segments. You have your head and your trunk, and that's it. Like it's it's funny to, and then of course you have your legs, but that doesn't define technically what it is. Okay, but then you have other like insects. You've got your six legs, your two antennae, your three body segments. So okay. it's just, it's, it's different. It is hard. Cause like colloquial, colloquial, we, collo <laughs> I'm struggling on the words today. <laughs> Me too. It's okay. <laughs> I don't even want to try it. I know what you're trying. You know what I'm trying to say, but, um, you'll hear people refer to insects as like a catch all term essentially. Yes. And like, they talk about spiders as insects and millipedes yes. as insects and they don't all technically fit under that umbrella. Correct. But, okay. It's, it's like the bug, like Ugros bug or, you know, whatever. When uh, you're referring to a small critter, often it's called a bug or an insect mm -hmm. when it's not necessarily classified like that. Us insect people at World of the Insect, we do not care as long as you're talking about bugs. That's all. I wasn't trying to disrespect you or anything. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> do not take it as a disrespectful thing at all. Other people might disagree, but not us. We don't That's care. awesome. It's funny. I think a lot of people. You just said like ew bug or whatever. Yeah. I'm fascinated by insects or arthropods mm. or ever all of you the all of the above. Okay. You know, but um. Invertebrates, it's, how's that? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that I grew up with the same parents, and my sister has an intense fear of spiders, and not, doesn't necessarily like bugs. Yeah. But I don't know why that happened, it's not like my parents mm -hmm. grew up telling me that they were bad, and that, yeah. it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I wonder, I always question it, I think they're so fascinating, and yeah. I was trying to have this discussion with her, like, logically in my head, I can see a spider... And know that it cannot harm me. Like, yeah. I know a few. Like, if I saw a brown recluse or a black widow, I would probably kill it. I won't lie. I wouldn't want myself or my family to get bit by <laughs> yeah. one if it were in our house. Um, if we're outside, I probably wouldn't do anything. I don't yeah. know. The odds of it hurting me are so small. So then if it's a spider that I know isn't venomous and isn't going to hurt me, like, I... I, there's nothing about it that scares me. It doesn't creep me out. I find them Good. fascinating. <laughs> but I wonder, like, I don't know if you talk to people about this often. Like, again, we had the same parents, the same, like, upbringing. I wonder why she's afraid. But her brain is just like, no, they're just creepy. Like, look at them. Mm -hmm. They just look creepy. And I'm like, oh, I think they look cool. I don't know what it is. I don't necessarily know. I A part of me thinks it's just fear of the unknown. The more you know about an animal or an insect, you all probably know this from some of your animals mm -hmm. too, but um, the more knowledge base you have around a certain species or animal, it doesn't necessarily make them more predictable, but you understand why they're behaving the way that they behave. So or like, the odds that they'll behave in a dangerous yes, way or something. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's funny that you say that with a spider. I actually have a funny story real quick. Um, my cousin, I just went on a camping trip with her. Her name's Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Um, <laughs> but she is not fond of spiders. Like, they scare her. And so I told her, I was like, next time you see one, instead of killing it, think about that spider being in the only place that it knows, and you turn on the lights, and all it sees is this huge thing coming yeah. at it. Right. And, like, when it runs, think of it being like, ah! like running away from you with the big like jumping spider eyes and stuff and it actually helped her so oh, good like, that's I what i try listening to, i try to like say it like that like these spiders are are quick and i think that's what gets a lot of people are like mm. i don't know where it went it's like they'll they'll eat some of your other pests you know they take care of some of your other like small yeah. household mm -hmm. pests and things like that um but yeah, I think if you like look into the eyes of the spider itself or the other like insect, think about them like yeah. screaming from you. Right, I'm like, like ah! they're they're you can easily squish them. There's nothing to be afraid of. Like exactly. I don't want you to, but you easily could. Right. But I was wondering if you hear that a lot. Like, is it hard to be? Sometimes it's hard for us to hear. Just guess 
like giving misinformation, like calling painted dogs hyenas. We're like, no, we yes. want you to like know the difference. And of course, if it's appropriate, we'll like try and correct yes. them if it makes sense in the moment. But like, do you overhear people saying, oh, that's so gross, or oh, I'm so scared, like all the time? I would have a hard time. Like, we get that constantly. Yeah. Do you just, say anything or do you just kind of... Depends on the situation or yeah. if I'm like really like have an appointment or anything like sure, that right. to get yeah. to. But generally, if if it's fitting and the scenario is right, if it's a child, I'll generally swoop in and be like, actually, did you know? And then say blah, 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 fun fact mm -hmm. about it. Um, and they're usually like, wow, or like, during keeper talks be like why are you afraid do you know like what scares you about this animal and a lot of times they can't say yes yes and it's I was just that, that with my sister fear and it's to me it's it's just you don't have the knowledge base around it and you can find beauty the more knowledge you have about some, anything yeah i agree yeah so i think that's part of it but I don't, I don't know. Like some of it, I'm sure is just an innate fear. If something's running at you, then yeah. you, you know, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> I do think that fear of unknowns is a huge aspect. I yeah. do think there's also like a little bit of like the kind of pop culture aspect of it. Like oh, yes. growing true. up, there's just, you're told bugs are creepy yes. and they're creepy crawly creatures. And in horror movies, there's always a giant mm -hmm. spider for whatever reason in horror movies. There it is. Seems like That's true. Movie. I guess you can learn from so many things other than yes. just your parents yeah. or your family. Yeah. But I do hear it a lot from parents or like guardians at the zoo. It's, it's a lot of, Oh, that's gross. But then the kid's super excited mm -hmm. and like, look mom or you know, whatever. And that's and promising. I love though. that. Yeah. Like, yes. Like swoop in. They're like, did you know? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like you guys have a lot of, uh, you probably have a lot of extra opportunities for those moments. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure the reptile keepers do as well. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But it's fun. Yeah, so one thing we definitely wanted to get to talking to you about was your millipedes that you work with. Millipedes are very cool, very fascinating. We want to hear about some of the species that you work with, some of the work that you're doing with them, if you don't mind talking to us about it. Not at all. Yeah. So both species that I work with, one is the giant African millipede, which is from Africa, East Africa specifically. Um, those, I don't know, that's what comes to my brain when I think millipede, but they're anywhere from about, on average, nine inches to seven to nine inches long, um, and they can live... I think they can live roughly about 10 years or so, wow. but it's hard. Wow. If you keep them in a, in a group or a culture, you'll hear me say that a lot. It's the same thing, group or culture. Um, together, it's hard to track one particular individual okay, yeah. all the way through its life stage, especially if you don't even catch it from the time it hatches to the time, like there's, they're communal, so it's hard. Yeah. Um, but the other species, it, we call them desert rainworms, and it's a millipede from Arizona, Texas, uh, New Mexico, that kind of southwest U.S. Um, and they're really cool. Both are kind of in the same grouping where they have like an oblong body. They're circular, and they've got a bunch of legs underneath. But I guess I should go over what a millipede like is. Yeah, one of the One of please. the biggest questions that we get is, Millipede or centipede? What's mm. the difference? And there is a huge difference. I feel like millipedes are cuter for some reason. They are. <laughs> Which is not a scientific thing to say, but I feel like they, they totally are. are <laughs> I think. Now, um, millipedes have two for every body segment. So their whole the whole trunk of their body is segmented, and centipedes are the same. But for every segment that they have, millipedes have two pairs of legs. Centipedes only have one. Okay. So they have okay. half as many legs, but not each species, even within millipedes, has the same number of segments. And same with centipedes. So, like, the leg count's totally different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Based on species and age and everything else. Um, but oftentimes, millipedes are toxic. They can excrete, like, a toxin from their skin. The chemical makeup of that is a whole other, other thing. Like, some can secrete like a cyanide substance like your giant african millipedes other it's just a foul odor smell kind of toxin mm -hmm. like um, a don't eat me kind of warning yes, to predators exactly. essentially okay um where centipedes are venomous so they prey on their food uh, millipedes eat compost and broken oh, down wood. So, i definitely didn't know that yeah your centipedes are going to be a little more aggressive millipedes which is probably why you think they're cuter <laughs> uh, they're not uh, going to be as predatory or ambush style so is it true too 
I guess what I've always thought in my mind, the difference, one of the differences between millipedes mm -hmm. and centipedes is I always picture millipedes with like the legs underneath of their bodies and then centipedes with their legs like off to the sides of their bodies. True, but it can be tricky. Okay, there's because, exceptions. <clears throat> yeah, so the two millipede species that we have here are very rounded and their legs are underneath. There are other species in other genuses that are flat millipedes. And their legs oh. kind of branch outward slightly. It's it's hard to tell. You're like, I don't know if that's a millipede yeah, okay. or a centipede, but they have the more flattened body. See, and that's why I was thinking millipedes were more round, but that's not true. Not for always, all yes. Okay. And the ones there's a lot of species native to this area where they're the flattened species. Okay. So I shouldn't say species group of yeah. of millipedes, but yeah. That's so tricky. <laughs> the group it of species that Okay, so it is. are either of them like endangered or having any issues with population numbers? So endangered, no, they're considered threatened. Um, they have a lot of wild collecting done on them for the pet trade. Which is so interesting because we were just talking about how a lot of people don't really like yes. insects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's a whole new-ish kind of trendy kind of thing oh, with okay. invertebrates in general. So wow. you see a lot of scorpions, um, mantises, as April yes, talked about in the yeah. previous episode. Like you just see a lot more illegal pet trade activity with invertebrates. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. So both the desert ringworm and the giant African millipede are part of a swarm program. And that is the safety web for arthropod reproduction management. And it's basically five institutions who successfully rear these animals have to have a certain amount of animals per group so that they can share with other zoos and have access for other zoos to take them so that we don't have to pull from the wild okay. if ever okay. we need. So it's almost like the insect SSP that we talk about here on our podcast a lot. Like, you guys are making sure that there are genetically and literally enough numbers bred mainly the numbers zoos. yeah okay. just making sure that nobody is having to wild collect anything and bring it in okay. one because we don't want to do that and deplete the the wild population mm -hmm. um, but also if we already have a system that's working here we can share it with other institutions mm -hmm. and get everybody on board and and Help. Oh, that makes sense. That Rather makes than somebody sense. else collecting and them trying it their own way before figuring yes. it out for years. Okay. Correct. So we kind of share, we all collaborate and share what our numbers look like. Um, and I think it's every six, every six months or once a year. I cannot remember off, off okay. the top of my head. But both species are, the desert rainworms just recently were added to that kind of, to the swarm program. So it's... I don't even know how many people, honestly, if they have the five institutions yet. I'm not the swarm coordinator, but okay. Um, yeah, Cincinnati is. That's interesting, though. Is working with both of what those. are what are the numbers of our animals that we have here? Like, I know we have obviously giant colonies, but do you guys are you how much are you able to keep track of that even? So it's tr it's really tricky. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, the only way I can really, so we have a. 40 gallon tank um, with compost filled probably nine to ten inches and some broken down wood in there. The key for them to thrive, giant African millipedes, is to not disturb them. Of okay. course. So to get a count is really tricky. <laughs> yeah. The last time I got a count, which has been a few months now, we had about 215, not including eggs or nymphs. Wow. And subadults. They can all live together? Yes. Okay. Yep. They actually do really well. Both both species do really well together. Um, they'd be fine on their own, but if, they, if we can manage them together, then that's preferable. Wow. So I'm assuming if they don't like to be disturbed, these counts are pretty infrequent, I imagine. Yes. Yeah, I okay. try to, like... This this will go into kind of my husbandry work with them, um, which I can talk about in a little bit. But I only really pull that substrate out once every six months or once every year, because they need that they need the space to molt. And if you disturb that substrate, you could squish or harm mm -hmm. that animal, if not kill that animal. And if you disturb the molting process, which is basically just shedding that exoskeleton off. Um, they're really vulnerable at that time, and 
they can be damaged. You can also squish eggs, mm. hatchlings, anything like that. So we don't do it very often, and that's kind of been the key to success. That makes sense. Yes, I mean, it, it's not like there would be a lot of disturbances yes. in their natural habitat if they were... Correct. Not being bothered, like unless there right. was construction and things going on. It sounds goofy, but... You know, I, I really struggled. One of my goals when I came on as a full-time keeper was to get that the giant African millipedes to breed successfully. Really? And you've done that? Nobody here at the zoo had been able to do it. And I'm like, I just, this species is so cool. They're like, in my eyes, they're they're the elephants of our department, this <laughs> gentle giants. <laughs> and they're so cool. And, and it, was, it was a pet project of mine. I was like, okay, I'm really going to focus on this, see what I can do. And I look back in Zims and the notes from other keepers and really played around with a lot of stuff. And, okay, well, this keeper tried different lighting, like this keeper isolated millipedes, like, or put a male and female together to try to encourage breeding behaviors and things like that. And what I noticed was about every three months that habitat was totally stripped out, cleaned, mm. disturbed. Okay. And I was like, I'm just going to let that go. Yeah. Because... If that's not working, that's the simplest thing. Just let it go and see what happens. Obviously, if it became, you know, fungus city or overgrown or anything like that, sure. you know, I can always clean it out and move from there. But mm -hmm. I left it alone and I got eggs within like six months, eight months. So no it's way. That's been a awesome. while. But yeah. So since you didn't disturb them, how did you see the eggs? Or are they on I top? I saw the hatchlings. They? So oh. how the habitat is kind of set up, like I said, it's a it's a 40-gallon tank. And on the surface, I have one piece of cork bark. So it's like a hide for them. And they love sitting under that. Like, it's their favorite. And they get romaine lettuce. They get cucumber, sweet potato, banana. And then they get a powdered shrimp chitin for oh. calcium. And cat food, which is high in protein for them. And they love it. It's so cute. They hold it in their little oh my god, their little no like way. front couple segments of oh legs. And eat it. It's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I happened to switch the romaine. I always put it under the cork bark because I'm like, if they're there, they're gonna eat it. And I lifted it up, and there were hatchlings. And I was oh, like, oh my god. Okay. And, and it's hard to determine because we also have native millipedes that in come in with the compost. So it's <laughs> like, oh no. But it ended up being. Them and I can't imagine that was an exciting moment. Oh <laughs> oh, How big are so they when they're hatchlings? Oh boy, maybe. So when they hatch, they don't really have legs and you don't see them until their oh. first instar or first life stage. Okay. And that was at the point where I saw them and they're about an inch and they're white and they have a little black stripe going down their okay. back. But they are... Maybe as thin as angel hair pasta. Oh, wow. So very like, tiny. Yeah, really, really small and like an inch. So, so it's like wait. shake off the lettuce really gently <laughs> if you're replacing it. But So they hatch without legs, you said? Yes. So it's really weird. Legs come in after the first molt, I guess? Okay. Yeah. I never knew that. That's so incredible. So they hatch and they're in this little like crescent-like shape. And Well, okay, so the egg cracks and they're kind of stuck in this like... They can move their head, and that's about it. And this is all happening underground. And they'll, like, molt their first time through. And that's when they'll have about six legs. It's two, oh, okay. two pairs of leg per body segment at that point, which is not many segments at all. <laughs> and they molt pretty quickly initially because they're growing faster. And it's weird because they grow, like, almost like an accordion. So it's not... They don't lengthen at the end or the head. Oh, from the middle. It's, it's kind of in between those segments. They kind of huh. expand. Almost like a telescope. Okay. Kind of. It's the only way that I can describe it. No, that makes sense. Yeah. But so they grow more legs as they get older, as well as more segments. And with both of these species, desert rainworms and giant African millipedes, they have... Let's see. Giant Africans are about just under 70 segments. So... No, they don't have a million or a thousand legs. <laughs> they have about... Those two species, yes, are, are close to, like, 200. Okay. Just over, maybe, but... And how long does it take for them to get full-grown? Or to, like, look full-grown? desert rainworms, they're a smaller species, and they don't... I don't know what their lifespan is, to be honest. 
we've never really tracked that because we've always had this like booming group, okay. <laughs> which I realize I never answered your question. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> um, they giant African millipedes take about four or five years to become okay. an adult. Okay. So they will be, I don't know, within a year, they might be two inches long, two years, they might be four and they will be this like really gray charcoalish kind of color. And then they'll get their really hardened exoskeleton and that black, like, sclerotization happening around four or five years old. Okay. So. That's crazy for an insect. I would always just imagine that they mature a lot quicker than that. Yeah. No, not these guys. And there's no parental care either, so it's not like they have, you know, a parent watching over them while they're, you know, mm. going about their young years. But... You mentioned they have like a really healthy diet here and they get all sorts of fresh produce Well, and cat food. What would they be uh -huh. eating in the wild that would like, obviously no one's feeding them like cut up cucumber cat and cat food <laughs> in Africa. So do you know what they're hunting or not? They're not hunting. Uh -huh. they're, what are they finding for protein in the wild? So they will pick at things if they, they will scavenge if okay. they happen across something. If they come across a dead insect or... A dead bird or mouse or something like oh, that. I they will that. pick okay. at it. Okay. They, they're opportunistic as well. Um, but primarily it is broken down wood and leaf litter. Huh. It's okay. what they will, they're um, detrivores, so they'll kind of turn that poor soil into really rich nutrients for our trees and other animals. Yeah, so. those are some of the most valuable creatures out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing, really. And you can tell, like I said, that I clean out that habitat about once a year. You can tell. Um, it gets really kind of moist and just, it's the best soil you yeah. could ever have. Um, but it's, it's not that leafy compost anymore. Mm. It's just, it's totally solid soil. If that makes any sense, mm -hmm. it's very fertile. Wow. Um, I have two questions. One is yeah. when you're cleaning them out, what do you do? <laughs> like literally, how do you keep them alive? Where do you, do you just like pick one by one and put them into an mm -hmm. empty one? Or do you already have like another tank with comp new compost or items that need composted? Yeah. So it's, it depends on the, the, how many habitats that we have okay. available. It just depends on our resources, but it's really nice if you have an extra like big tank to set up and you can go ahead and fill it with leaf mold or compost is the same thing. Um, which, by the way, is gathered by our horticulture department. Thank you, horticulture. <laughs> Couldn't do it without you. Team effort. Yes. Always shout out horticulture. Yes, yes. they're amazing. <laughs> um, but sometimes, if I can, I'll fill that up with compost and then just move them over one by one. It's a very slow process. More often than not, I will only take half out at a time, and I'll just put half of the new... Like So, yes, it is a... One by one, picking them out, moving them to like a critter keeper or something okay. with a moist paper towel, something that they can hide under and that's going to keep them not desiccating or drying out. Um, they need to be in a moist environment. Okay. So if it's going to be a quick process and I'm just changing out like half of the tank, I will go ahead and I'll pick through half and I'll like... Or I'll just move them over to the other side. Like, go over there. Go over oh, there. okay. Um, and I'll collect any eggs that I see, and I'll rebury them on the other side. Um, any hatchlings, I'll move over. Or I'll take a count as I go and put fresh compost back in that side, filling it back up. Okay. And then that way I'm not depleting the eggs or anything else. Mm. That's what I like to do, ideally. Okay. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that, and I'll have to strip the entire tank out at once. And see, that's what my, I, I don't really know, how do you decide when to do this? If they're meant to compost, like, do you really need to change it at all? So I keep, I keep pretty thorough records, and because it's in a, a habitat that caps out and there is a height basis, oh. they can't, that really fertile soil that they are constantly pooping out, you have to go somewhere okay. with it. Yeah. So you have sense. to move it out and replace it with really fresh stuff because that's their food. Okay. And so, sense. yeah, so we bring compost in from outside and I have, I'm a, I'm a very organized person. So <laughs> I have like records of when I did it last uh -huh. and I'll either base it on that kind of time frame, Like, okay, it's been about six months or it's been about a year, depending on the species. Um, and then I'll do it. I'll clean it all out then. Okay. But you can also tell. You can tell in that because it's in a 40-gallon tank, you can see the quality of that compost or the 
organic well no the inorganic decomposing stuff like the leaf litter it just gets broken down you can see it okay, uh, okay. so like the layers and it everything. just looks wet and mushy once they've already processed it um it's not as flaky i guess that makes, makes sense. any sense it does it's yes. hard to yeah. describe unless you visually <laughs> right. see it <laughs> and then my other question was more like specifically when you found these hatchlings like what did you do other than celebrate of course but did you have to do a bunch of paperwork did you write out like how you did things and share it with like the other people in the swarm um group or so we were not do? a part of swarm until we started breeding okay, them that makes and sense. had a good size population base first so prior to that yes i was taking very like thorough notes about every little thing i was trying so i was i was i was trying to separate out a male and a female and it did not work and they need a certain depth of substrate and mm -hmm. things like that like if you have three inches versus six inches they're gonna lay eggs in the six inches they like to bury and protect their eggs which that makes, makes sense. total yeah. sense right um but we just tried to make it as naturalistic as possible and it just yeah d like taking notes like crazy so when i saw the hatchlings i yelled you know <laughs> everybody on the team like yes and of course you get the little like nagging suspicion what if they're not what if it's a native species and it's it's not what you think it is and of course they're such slow growers that you're like oh my gosh right you have to later <laughs> like have they grown i don't know i can't tell but over time it happened to be them, and I just recorded it in Zims and was approached by um, the swarm coordinator for okay. that species. And they asked me if I wanted to join. I was like, yes, let's do it. So Very cool. Yeah. When, like, how often do you have hatchlings now? Do you know more about their life cycles these days? Since, Or is it hard because of the giant colony? It's interesting. I've, it's hard because of the giant colony, but it's... Everything I've read about them says they only really breed once a year. Okay. I don't see that because our, for whatever reason, our millipedes breed better on exhibit, like in our public area huh. viewing display, as opposed to the keeper area habitat. Okay. I don't know why. That's interesting. I have no idea why. Yeah, it's weird. I see. I get hatchlings in both, but it seems like we get more out on the public side of things, which you would think it's opposite because of yeah, that's interesting. Stress of animals and you know pounding on the glass and things like that that happens <laughs> yeah all the time. But um, it's like we seem to have them more often than once a year. So huh. it's really interesting. And but it's hard it, to account for. right. Could it be just like well these. Like, there was a group that had eggs in February, but a different group was aging it could into, be. like, and yes. had eggs in August or something. Yes, and I don't know either, like, in Africa, I don't know if there's a certain trigger that triggers them all to breed at once, mm. like, in the wild, that like maybe they're not almost. getting that here because it's pretty consistent mm -hmm. year-round for us. Like, they have a high moisture content all the time. They, You know, it's not like they have a rainy season right. versus dry yeah. or anything like that. It's... Yeah, I wonder if like the lighting is different out front where the people are no versus idea. where you guys are back working, that sort of thing. That's, that's the fun thing is you can always like tweak a little bit of That's so different from detail. what we do in the sense that yeah. we can change lots of things, but not yeah. to the, like, it's just so tiny, the details that yeah. you guys can change. Like, we can't change like, the light or, temperature, the temperature, right, yes. the light exposure, like all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It can be, you have to be careful with that too, though, because the very slight change could be very detrimental yeah. to, to a, a culture of insects, too. That makes sense. Yeah. Lipids, so. <laughs> They're so, but, like, so small compared and, yes. like, delicate, mm -hmm. I feel like. Yes. It makes sense that you say you're very detail oriented. I feel like that's a common theme among uh, the insect keepers because you are managing these animals on a Itty colony bitty. basis. Yes. Yeah. You kind of have to be, yeah. honestly. And, and, you just you have to know your parameters like should this grasshopper habitat be dry should it be wet like what does that look like you really have to play around with it or look back in other keepers notes and figure out what their or what their natural history is mm -hmm. altogether it's it's a lot and when you manage hundreds of species it's it's a lot is it lot. easy to tell tell a male and female apart oh I'm so glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> this is such a fun question. <laughs> it's not. It's really difficult. Um, 
except for females are bigger. So they, there is a point in their life where you can, I can visually tell you, I don't know, like somebody who's not familiar with the species. I don't know if you would be able to be like, yeah, that's a female. Mm -hmm. I've worked with them for years, so I know what they look like. I can point it out, but females roughly are more robust. They're also longer in length. Okay. Granted, you have to keep in mind their age. Right. So it's tricky to tell. And you can kind of tell based on what their exoskeleton looks like as to whether they're adults or not. Oh. Or very close to becoming adults. Mm. Um, that exoskeleton is much more hardened. It's more plate-like, almost. Um, but the males are about, I don't know, six, seven inches. Whereas the females can get up to like nine, ten. Okay. I think the record is something insane. Like 15 inches, wow. I think, is record record breaking. Wow. But I have never seen one that big in my life. I would love to, but I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Maybe you've seen it more years. Give it time. I know. But it's really interesting if you look. So if a millipede is walking across the table and you look through their legs, like if you get eye level with them and you look underneath their legs, on the seventh pair of legs, so that seventh segment, the males will have little false legs or club-like appendages. Those are the male reproductive organs, oh. they're called gonopods. Okay. So unless you knew that and you knew what you were looking at, okay. no, it's not easy to tell. It's always the seventh pair? It's the seventh segment, okay. yeah, seventh pair of legs, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's really it's it's across millipedes, I believe. Okay. That those reproductive organs are for males on the seventh. For females, I believe their reproductive organs are on the second segment or third segment. Oh. It's a little off. But when they breed, it's really interesting cuz it just looks like the male is hugging the female. And, oh. like, he'll wrap around her, like, towards the end, but, like, they're face-to-face, -face, and it just looks like they're hugging. <laughs> and they're basically passing. The male has a spermatophore, which is, like, a little packet of sperm, and he'll actually pass it over to the female. And it's get, it gets absorbed into that female's okay. reproductive organs. So. Nature is wild. So the, it's, it's internal crazy. fertilization. It's yes. Huh? So it's internal fertilization? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's crazy. I want to. See, I want to see a little millipede hug. I'm trying to see. I'll it. call you next time. I see you. I'll be like, come over quick. That sounds adorable. <laughs> it's really. I think it's cute. What you really want to see is this reproduction happening. Yes. You can't. It's really cool because you can see the spermatophore. It looks like a little like pearl that they're passing. No over. It's really wow. neat. Oh yeah, it's like a little gelatinous. It's like a little baby. Yes. Yeah, it's like a little baby. It is. It's really cute. <laughs> oh Do you God. know how many eggs they typically like produce from that? Ooh, I don't. It's just I have no idea. Yet. I know that they they'll lay them in clusters. Um, how many? I have I have no idea. Okay. Um, I know different species do different things. Like some millipede species will encapsulate each egg in like a little dirt kind of coating. Wow. And it it's for protection, added protection, and it keeps them from drying out. Mm. Um, but giant African millipede, millipedes and desert ringworms don't. They'll just lay them in clusters about three to six inches underground. Okay. Okay. I know you mentioned when they're growing, they're mm -hmm. shedding those exos exoskeletons and molting pretty frequently. Yep. Once they reach adulthood, how often are they molting? Is it like a once a year thing? Is it I like... think so. Okay. Don't quote me on that, but I believe it's about once a year. Okay. And I'm sure it depends on like the external conditions or how much are they eating, like... Now I'm questioning like. that, though, because with walking sticks, and I know insects versus millipedes are different, but with walking sticks, once they hit adulthood, they don't molt anymore. Oh, oh So I wonder if maybe they do stop it once they're adults. But Yeah, because if you aren't sure. finding them, I guess, but they could be underground and you just uh -huh. aren't finding them. Yeah, and if, like, if I'm going through the soil for any reason, um, I do find them molting. In okay. There. It's cool. Um, you can actually see their molt around their body because they curl up. They curl up for a defense mechanism as well. So they their head is in the inside of this spiral, and they'll protect their head at all costs. But um, when they molt, they also kind of curl up, and that exoskeleton just kind of like falls off mm. oh. around the outside, and then they'll proceed to eat it because it is a it's a protein source, oh, okay. readily available. Okay. Right, and sometimes they don't, and it's fine. It's just discarded but. but that would make sense why you don't find them as often either yes. eating them yeah 
So it's hard to keep track of because everything, for the most part, is unseen under Below eye level. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, you don't want to disturb them to look, but right. I don't know. I'll have to look that up now because I'm questioning my original answer. Okay. I don't know. You said they're your favorites, the, the giant African millipedes. Like, what is it about them? What is the difference? That they're just okay. it's like, do they have little personalities? Is there anything? Jenna, did you not like, just hear? They give each other hugs. <laughs> like, yeah, they'd be my favorite too. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about like they're impressive. I think, mm-hmm. and I think people gravitate towards impressive with with regards to arthropods in general. Like, mm-hmm. you almost need that draw from people to not think that they're gross or scary or anything like that and they're just so gentle like they're not they're not gonna hurt you they might secrete a little something but (laughs) it's not gonna hurt you as long as you don't lick the millipede it's fine (laughs) which by the way fun fact this might be on your trivia question later i don't know giant african millipedes will secrete a cyanide based kind of toxin okay and in the wild it it like wards predators obviously away from them Mm -hmm. like don't eat me i'm gross i don't taste good i'll make you sick so maybe the first millipede gets eaten by a bird the second that bird will not eat a second one at all so it is it is a good um defense mechanism but other really cool things are birds and monkeys will actually rub they'll bite a millipede and they'll rub it all over their fur and it acts as a mosquito repellent. Wow. Which is kind no of cool. way. That's very cool. Yes. One, that they're smart enough to do that uh-huh. and figure that out. And the fact that it keeps mosquitoes away. Well, then they proceed. And this has been studied. It's not just me saying this for funsies. But then they will pass that millipede around. And there is a hallucinogenic in it. And they will get a high off of no way the toxin in the millipede. Yeah. It's insane. Like... I assume they're vervet monkeys that do this, but I'm not entirely sure exactly which species. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. It's but, supposed to, to make them go away and instead... Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're like, let me have... Let, let me, me get rub some you of that. all over me. Let <laughs> <laughs> eat you. <laughs> I, know. I know. But yeah, I guess it's been studied in, like, Amazon species, too, okay. to, for other millipede species. Like, birds will pick them up, and they will... It's a deterrent for other insects and it's like that's wow. insane yes like army ants and things like that will not go near a millipede wow that secretes that's very chemicals. interesting yeah it's we really need some of that this time of year here i mean I not know. that i want to kill a millipede for it it's no. not worth it to me but like we need <laughs> something glad. to keep the bugs away here <laughs> i know just the mosquitoes it's just fine. the mosquitoes they're, they're the yellow jackets have been a lot lately i don't know how I you agree. guys feel about yellow jackets i also like, defend so many insects, and I have a hard time. I'm like, do they pollinate? Do yellow jackets pollinate? I'm sure they can. They're not known for it, though. Okay. So they are a type of wasp, and we always call them meat bees because they need a high-protein source, so they'll go after meat and things mm-hmm. like that the first half of the year, I think. And then the second half of the year, which is now... They're going after sugary items. Yeah, you always see them at the restaurant with people. Yes. They're just, I feel so bad for our guests here. I know. They're just being sworn <laughs> by these yellow jackets. Yeah. 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 And it's so hard to, like, it's educate okay. about, like, honeybees and carpenter bees and these all these other insects that are not going to harm yes. them. And then the yellow jacket's like, oh, they actually might. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, and there's not, I mean, really, unless... Unless you were to keep everything ridiculously clean and no, like, sugar droppings or, like, if somebody spills their drink, you get every little mm-hmm. droplet yeah. up. Like, they're going to find it. Yes. They, they've so. been finding our, our kudu lately, and we're very oh, upset. No. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, millipedes are awesome. They're just, they're my Favorite. They're your favorite? Oh, we always like They're to ask fun. and lots of people yeah. won't answer, so I'm glad you did. I do, I don't know. Out of the millipedes, are my favorite. Okay. And it's definitely helpful that you've figured something out and, like, it's your project and something yeah. that you've accomplished. I think they have to have a special place in your heart, like, yes, after that. for sure. There is still a little label on their habitat that says, my grand millipedes. And Aww. it's, like, now, like, six to... 16 generations like, and I great, have no great, idea great. what generation I'm on anymore but I'm like that will always stay yeah. <laughs> that's very that's good. awesome that's definitely yeah. something to be proud of that's awesome they're fun yeah 
They're cute. I have one more question about just your day. So I've probably asked this in other episodes with your coworkers, but I'm sure you're busy. So I'm not trying to say that, but I don't understand. Okay. So you don't clean that (laughs) tank every day. You put the food in. Okay, let's say that takes 20 minutes to cut it and put it in there. So again, I'm not saying you're not busy because I know you no, guys are. You're swamped. What? So then what do you do next? Because you don't... So just tell us kind of what it's like on a daily, a daily basis, basis for you. Yes, like you come in and you do what? Yeah. So very first thing is we will go around in our keeper area and we'll mist certain habitats. We have oh. a blue dot on habitats that need more humidity and we want to make sure that Mm. animals aren't desiccating and because our animals molt all the time they need water they need to be moisture filled (laughs) but um we start the day by doing that and we'll prep the diet and have that on a little cart and we'll bring it out into the public area because our building is built the way it is most of our public area habitats are only removable from the public side So we have to clean all the glass, feed all the animals every single day, and they're insects, so they don't have long lives. If if one passes away, we have to then replace it with another. Um, So we have to do all of that before 8.30 when our building then gets cleaned by um, park services. Oh, okay. So by that time, and then we have our big exhibits like our butterfly aviary. We have our leaf cutter ants, naked mole rats, and aquatics that also need to be done because they are big displays mm-hmm. before nine o'clock. Okay. So that takes you up to nine ten o'clock if you're if you're lucky if you're really doing well, and then it it kind of branches off into each keeper's kind of facet of animals. So. Like you have mentioned, we all have, we're all primary keeper of a subset of animals. And for me, I have what we call veggie changes three times a week. So my Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll go through all of my animals and I'll feed them, you know, fresh veggies. Most of mine are, are, um, detrivores or frugivores and they won't eat. They're not predators. So I don't have to replenish that on a daily basis. Um, but let's see. Soil needs changed out on a, on not a daily basis, but Based you think of- about there's like 60 some odd exhibits mm-hmm. out in our public side. And then on the back side, we have more than that. So you have mm. at least one, if not five more where we raise the animals in the back. Okay. And so each of those is on a different time scale. That makes sense. Then you have to collect compost. And then you have to, like, for beetle larvae, for instance, they are all kept in these habitats that are are basically Rubbermaid containers. Um, They do great in there, but they need supplemented three times a week. So it's like you have to feed them, and then once a month they they all get pulled. I have 58 bins right now. So it's like they get pulled once a month, the pupa collected, put in another area. The larvae counted, made sure they don't have mite issues or anything else, refilled with compost, go to the next one, and you do that. It's on a big rotation. Okay, so it's like even though you may not be doing, let's just say, Madagascar has seen cockroaches today, you're doing a different one. And then it like rotates enough that you're always doing several every single day. And there's no catching up, but (laughs) we've come to the... Those terms, but you guys probably understand that as well. There's no catching up. That was definitely something that amazed me when I went behind the scenes in the world of insect was just how many, how much um, behind the scenes animals there were. Like, because like you said, the insects don't have super long lifespans and the way their life stages work, you have to have insects in in each stage of their life in order to have animals for the public to see so it's like the amount of bins and stuff behind the scenes filled with larvae and filled with adults some of those bins have five larvae some (laughs) have about a hundred and it's like it's a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of supplies to keep up with a lot of i'm very good at counting (laughs) i can do that it's good you guys are all good at organization because i would not be able to keep all that straight i'm glad you you guys have to be you you have to i've got a spreadsheet that i keep a lot of stuff just to keep keep track but Mm -hmm. it's it's difficult and it's action-packed and then we get our produce days in and 
unfortunately for us, things have insecticide on it. So we have to go through and hand wash every oh, single bit of produce. Yeah. That's that kind of scary in. and sad. It's very scary. Yeah. And grasshoppers are generally the most delicate when it really? comes to that. They cannot... Like, some animals are hardier than others, and if they ingest a little bit of insecticide, it's not going to bother them too, too much. But grasshoppers and other orthopterans, they will crash. Oh like, the whole culture will collapse. So, you, yeah, you got to wash very thoroughly. It's an important job. It's a mundane yeah. job, but... Do you use anything to clean, or is it just pure water just can water. fix it? Okay. Mm -hmm. So we, we do scrub it, and, okay. like... The lettuce, like romaine, for That's instance, hard we to cut clean. the stem. We cut the stem, and every leaf gets pulled. Kale is the same way. Oh gosh! And you just we have a wash bucket, a rinse bucket, and then that makes total sense. Wow. But I didn't realize you guys were it's doing hours. That. Oh my it's gosh! Hours a week, so yeah, it's a lot. Oh, that <laughs> is a lot, man. That's, that's just really sad to me. I yeah, I haven't thought about yeah, that. Yeah, and we've like, tried going the organic route, but you can never be certain. Right. And you have like systemic pesticides nowadays too. So it's just in the soil, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of like walking sticks eat plants, and we use plants on grounds and stuff to cut and feed our animals and you have to be really conscientious of what you can where you can go to find those mm. plants mm -hmm. that are safe so it's tricky yeah it is, it yeah. is tricky but that's another aspect is is going on grounds and cutting mm -hmm. leaves especially in the winter it's very t tricky yeah i bet walking sticks are picky and so are <laughs> ants and they will only cut and eat certain things and it's like guys you only have like Viburnum left, so this is what you're getting. <laughs> it's also fascinating to know that they are picky and they know exactly what they want. Yeah. It's insane. Leaf cutter ants especially. Like they're fascinating. We still need to talk to one of you about Kelly. the leaf cutter ants. Oh, Kelly yes. is your go to yes. there. Oh my gosh. You can talk your head off for days. It's amazing. But yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys are super busy and doing really cool work and things mm -hmm. that you wouldn't, I obviously have never even thought of that yeah. you have to do. And I've been here for a long time. So yeah, in the back, you can watch us. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, so we'll fun. have to come over. We say that almost every episode now. Like, There's it's so much hard. going on There's that so we don't know see. about. Know. Yes, it's, we want it's to tricky. see. But thank you so much for talking yeah. to us. Is there anything else we missed that you want to share? Or I think just, you know give insects the benefit of the doubt. Think of that poor little spider running away from you being terrified. Definitely. Things like that. Um, the more you learn, the more you little love grace. Them. Yeah, yeah. Look it's up. like ninety nine point nine percent of them are harmless. Right? Yeah, right. and yeah. doing a lot of good for yeah. for us. Yes, yes. <laughs> they're so important. Every insect has some, or every arthropod, I should say, has some value to give, even a mosquito. That's so. what I want to know the value of a mosquito, Michelle. What is it? The larvae are a huge food source to a lot of animals. Okay, that's one of the bigger ones. Okay, I'll as take adults, it. they're also a food source. But they are, you know, vectors of disease, so... Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard to defend them. You, you know, get. I can defend a spider really easily, but defending It's hard. It's hard. I agree. <laughs> I don't like them much either. Well, good. Michelle, if you're up for it, I do have some trivia for you today. If you're up for the task. I, I feel like know. it's been a while. Uh, it has been a while since so you've done trivia. I'm, Don't is, judge my insect knowledge on this trivia. So it's, it's actually millipede trivia. Oh boy. Oh boy. So we're, we're talking to millipedes today. I've got four questions for you all. Okay. So question one, we had mentioned multiple times throughout this episode about how much diversity there is within not only the insect world, the arthropod world, the millipede world especially. Mm -hmm. How many different species of millipedes are there? I'm wondering what number you have, because I have uh -oh. a number in my head. I'll let you say first, because okay. I don't want to deter uh -oh. your answer. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Jenna, this, and I are, don't know if I'm right either. These so. are Jenna's favorite questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's probably, like, astronomical, uh, uh, well, I'm guessing it's not as close as there are beetles. Correct. Not as many millipedes. But I also don't... I'm <sighs> <laughs> going to say 4,700. 4,700, okay. Okay, so I believe... We'll see if I'm right here. I think there's about 10,000 named species. Wow. But up to 80,000 that <gasps> we don't have discovered or known. Like, named and known 
Yeah. So she's right on. Yeah, there's about between ten to 11,000 named species, depending on kind of sources you look at. Yes. And scientists <laughs> estimate that there's somewhere around 75,000 yeah, species that okay. have yet to be named to, discover, to be discovered out there. Yeah. Which is wild to think about. There, I don't know, but fun story. I just went to a conference, an invertebrate conference, and the keynote speaker, um, Dr. Merrick, is a millipede expert, and he just discovered a millipede in Australia that has the most. Le- it is now the animal with the most legs in the world, and it had one thousand three hundred and six legs. Wow. Yeah. See, my question for that is always. How do they know if it has or hasn't been discovered before? <laughs> That's what researchers know, are just, for. Just, <laughs> I have no idea. How does he know no one's seen it? And if somebody sees it, how do they like know to report it? I wouldn't know where to report something. I if I saw, saw a cool bug I've never seen before, I'd just be report like, it. Do I do anything? I really? take a picture <laughs> There's of it. There's so many like, insects cool. here. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild to me. And it's then you insane. have to determine somehow that yeah. it is a new one and no one has discovered it before. But wow, that for a thousand legs. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen. Wow. Thirteen hundred. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. It's crazy. As, and there that's are a lot to be many... discovered. I might be able to yeah. discover a new millipede. There's you a chance. You could. could. Seven thousand options, possibly. Yeah. I, was saying, I it's bet insane. if you go to the tropics, that's your best bet. <laughs> Very true. But Let's just do that. Eastern Kentucky has a lot of the, like, flat millipedes that I was talking about. They're, like, oh, a hot spot in the world for this. Interesting. So, go to Eastern Kentucky. <gasps> okay. There you go. <laughs> that's close enough. There you go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just crazy to think. So, there's twice as many species of millipedes as there are species of mammals. Wow. So, think of how much diversity there is in the mammal kingdom. Yeah. And then... Twice as many millipedes out there. You can always learn. Wild. <laughs> Wild. So, what is, second question, we're one for one here. Right. Second question, what is the largest species of millipede, and how large is it? In the world? Yes. I'll take two answers. Largest as in heaviest or longest? Longest. Longest. No well, I'd have to say that new millipede that was right? just in <laughs> Australia, but I don't know what its name is. <laughs> I don't know. It's not the one from Australia, because that's coming up on the next question. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, can I just guess its length? And I have no idea what yeah. it's called. Okay, I'm going to guess 22 inches. 22 uh, inches? I don't even know. And it's called... I'll say 17. Gigantus. 17. <laughs> Giant Africans or Gigas, so you're close. Yeah. <laughs> so depending on which source you look at, Giant Africans, their average body length is okay. the longest. It's the longest. At about ten, it's you may differ a little bit. You obviously have much more experience with I am than I do, but about ten inches it says okay. is average. Um, That's about right. But the largest is sixteen inches, um, millipede from the Amazon. So. <sighs> That would be amazing to see. Oh, I would die. 16 inches would be wild. Yeah. That's crazy. So, coming up next, you mentioned this millipede that was discovered in Australia. It does not have a common name yet. Scientific name, I'm going to botch this, (laughs) is Eumipiles Persephone. It was discovered in 2021. How many legs does it have? Michelle <laughs> just mentioned it. Do you remember, Jenna? 1,300 and something ends with a six. Yes. 1,306. 1,306. So it's got the most legs of any animal. True millipede, 1,306 wow. legs is insane. They discovered it 50 feet below the ground. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, so that's that's part of why they think that there are okay. so many. Like, yeah. Because there's cave dwellers, there's burrowers. Like, subterrane- yeah. What was he doing that he found that? Or is he specifically looking for millipedes? I think like- he was, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm it, sure his. Because it lives so deep underground, it lacked pigmentation. It didn't have any eyes or anything like that because obviously it's pitch black 50 feet under the ground. So, yeah. yeah. Insane. How does it find other ones? You know, I often wonder I'll that. An I'm sure there's pheromones and stuff, but <laughs> and then they just have to dig and dig blindly and hope they can hug. Where? <laughs> Where is my friend? <laughs> oh, and like to dig and not harm it and like find it in general. I, yeah. so I wonder if it was like a hap- like a chance, right? Like 
I wonder if there's like construction or something. Yeah, it could have been. I have no idea. But if he was, if he's a millipede expert, he found it. That makes me think he was looking for something. Yeah, yeah. He didn't know what he was looking for. But then, yeah, I wonder like what tools they use. Fifty feet is really deep. It's deep. That's like very deep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's way underground. It is interesting, though. Got the legs. I know. (laughs) Just listen. Fun fact. 1,300 legs, and it's only five inches long. Oh, wow. Just crazy. Really? Five inches? I was thinking it was giant. Yeah, okay. I was thinking it was longer than that, too. Yeah, crazy. All right, we're in good shape here. Last question. There was recently a millipede species discovered in Tennessee named after a certain pop star. Oh, no. What pop star was this millipede named after? Oh, I'm terrible with music. Is it Dolly Parton? It's not Dolly Parton. That's not a bad guess for Tennessee, though. Oh, gosh. I would have no idea. I don't know my musicians. (laughs) I don't either. Um, I have no idea. I can't even guess. Can I give you a hint? Yes. Jenna, you absolutely love this person. (laughs) Is it after Taylor Swift? It is Taylor Swift. No. No way. Oh my gosh, she has a millipede named after her. She's got a millipede named after her. I wonder if she knows. It's the scientific name, I'm probably going to botch the pronunciation, is Nanaria (laughs) Swifte. And it is the Swift Twisted Claw Millipede. Oh my gosh, Discovered in Tennessee. Apparently the, the doctor who discovered it had said that Taylor Swift music helped him get through graduate school and undergraduate school, and he said it was his way to repay Taylor Swift. That's the name amazing. Of after. That's incredible. So her touch—it's everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> even in the millipede no world. Idea. No uh, kidding. I love that. She's everywhere. I just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to like Google a picture of it. I know a twisted claw. Did you read anything about it? Does it so, have? So, I, I, to be honest, I didn't really understand where the twisted claw moniker came Some from. Some have on my, in, like little. On their the bottom of their feet, some have little claws, so I wonder if it's oh, okay. It could something funky on their claws. I don't know. Yeah, found <laughs> in the Appalachian claws. Mountains. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for being a good sport yeah, and playing along with trivia. Welcome. But do you have anything else for Michelle while we have her, Jenna? What can I do? <gasps> oh, the what can I do? <laughs> I love these. I would say. I don't know if you're outdoorsy and you're looking for critters, which I highly suggest you do go and, you know, inspect your own habitats. Um, But if you're out flipping logs or rocks or anything like that, that is a home and a food source to a lot of other tiny organisms. So make sure you flip that log or that rock back over the way you found it if you're looking. Do it, because it's amazing to see all the life that's underneath a rotten log. For instance, you'll mm-hmm. find centipedes, millipedes, beetles, larvae, ants, all kinds of stuff. But make sure you put it back how it was. I always worry about that. It's funny. Like, I grew up catching grasshoppers and yeah. building homes for them. And looking back, I'm like, I just killed a bunch of insects. But I really liked them. I like. I mean, I hope I didn't kill as many as I like think now. But I hope I really Most are but... pretty hardy. And most can burrow, too. So if you flip it back, you're most likely not squishing. Okay, that's what, yeah, like I always that. worry about that. I'm like, you want to be curious. And yes. that's what made me fall in yeah. love with animals and yes. insects and, and things growing up. But then I'm like, what harm did I do? But it's good to yeah. know that, like, Just you likely it, won't. Yeah, put it back. A lot of insects are resilient, because they okay. have to be. Right. Yeah. Um, and odds are, I know this might sound a little rough, but if you do squish it, insects are pretty populous in numbers, so mm-hmm. it's okay. You're not going to deplete their population, and if you squish one, it's probably food for another animal. So. That's a good way of looking at it. It makes <laughs> me feel a little better. Just try to flip it back in the same orientation, though, because I know a lot of, you know, that's shelter for a lot of animals, mm-hmm. and if you flip it and leave it exposed, you're basically putting a um, bullseye on all the critters living there and predators will come and have a nice little snack. Yeah. This is a great, what can I do for just how easy and simple it is, Yeah, but also like how important it is. I just, Mm -hmm. it's funny that this is just your, what can I do? Cause I just read a story about how, um, throughout Smoky Mountain National Park, Mm -hmm. it was becoming a really big issue. It is still currently a big issue that you'll see like pictures on Facebook and Instagram and stuff of people who build these rocks, these rock towers and streams. It is not good at all. They're really depleting all these little micro ecosystems where all of these little invertebrates live and that's the basis of the food source. So these are actually doing a lot of damage throughout the ecosystem and Mm -hmm. it's not that hard. Just 
don't build these little rock structures. No, just don't. put a rock back if you do flip it over. Yep. Yeah. Especially like I see a lot of those structures built along water systems mm-hmm. and in creeks and streams and stuff. It's like uh, I my previous career was with aquatic invertebrates. Okay. So it's like you are taking a lot a lot of them need those rocks in the creeks and the mm-hmm. streams in order to slow that flow of water down. Right, I was going to say and it, it probably like hurts or helps cause erosion, right? Yes. Like it's causing the so many that issues. Water yes, you're not thinking out, about the more erosion happens and yeah. also a lot of those animals will attach themselves to rocks in the water too, like caddisfly larvae and things like that. So just put it back. Put it back. Yeah. yeah. Take a look, but put it back. Yep. Take a look and I put like it back. That. That's good. Thank you. That's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for telling us about millipedes and answering all of our questions about what it's like to be an insect keeper because we still have more. So much, <laughs> so much to understand. Yeah, but you're um, welcome. so many arthropods so many so many so many you'll have to get kelly in here for ants she yes. will blow your mind yes. it's insane that's a whole other dynamic that's beyond me and michelle one thing i really need from you is next time you get a glimpse of one of these millipede hugs i, I need you to snap a picture of it. I'm, I'm sure i have one i'll have to circle my room for this. you that's awesome thank you guys oh well, thanks yeah. for being here everyone have a great day and thanks for listening yeah thank you all until next time